Anybody have any rotten fruit or vegetables in a bag? Okay. For those of you guys who were here last week, uh, we're, we're touching on a subject, a real easy subject, uh, a subject that really doesn't affect anybody in here, I'm sure. Um, divorce. And, you know, I'm probably going to roam around a little bit here just as my thoughts are uh, throughout the sermon. You know, the Bible says that uh, not all of you should presume. Actually, let me, just, uh, let me just quote it here in James. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So I'm teaching on a subject today that I'm going to be judged on, I'm sure, because uh, people are going to look at me and say, well, who are you to judge? And I just want to come out and tell you, I'm not judging anybody. Um, I'm just going to go over what Jesus, I believe, is talking about in Matthew chapter 5. But before I do, let's go ahead and I'll read Matthew 5, uh, verse, one, uh, verse 31 and 32. Jesus said it was a Sermon on the Mount. We've, we've kind of worked our way to this point. Uh, and it said, uh, Jesus said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, one appeal I'm going to make to everyone today, this morning, and the appeal I make just in general, my theology and my life and how my wife and I operate or we attempt to operate is you have, you have a worldly perspective on things, okay, and then you have a biblical perspective. You have a worldview uh, without God, and then you have a biblical worldview with God, and what seems to have worked the best for us, because you have two very stubborn people, yes, my wife is stubborn, and yes, I am stubborn. We are two stubborn, type A, strong-willed people that, that believe we're right most of the time. The only way we've been able to manage 19 years of, of good marriage is by, uh, and I, I believe she would agree with this, uh, is that we've, we've looked at this book as our, like our guiding light. This is how we're going to operate, uh, because if we don't operate this way, our humanness gets involved and it becomes difficult. So maybe this is a marriage counseling uh, <laughs> sermon, or maybe this is just what it is, you know. But um, before we kind of get started on the basics of it, I, a question here. Um, I, I thought about asking it one way, and then I was sitting in the back, and I thought, I'm going to ask it another way, because I think it would be just as... Um, Applicable. Raise your hand if you have never been divorced. Let me finish this question. Raise your hand if you have never been divorced, never been raised as a child in a divorce situation, never had an adult family member who has been divorced, or never had a child family member, niece, nephew, cousin, etc., raised in a divorce situation. Raise your hand. Just nobody? Oh, I guess your cousin never really got married, honey. That's so. That's true. Okay. My wife's kind of shyly doing this, which she's right. Now I got to thinking about it. Family members, they've, they've stayed very strong in the marriage. But um, Okay, now raise your hand if you have been divorced or raised as a child in a divorce situation or had an adult family member who has been divorced or a child, family member, niece, nephew, cousin, etc., raised in a divorce situation. 
Raise them high and look around. Miss Perfect back there, Brenda. <laughs> it's actually kudos uh, to her family history is to have that strong of a um, background. So, so basically, all of us in all of us in the church have, have somehow been affected by this concept of divorce. Um, I, you know, I, I look at statistics occasionally, um, and most statistics that I've read recently say that 40 to 50 percent of marriages end in divorce. I don't know if that's a totally accurate number. I've read anywhere from 30 to 60, and so the, most of them said 40 to 50. And then there was the concept of professing Christians versus people that are not professing Christians of the world, and the professing Christians statistically went down in number from the 40 to 50 closer to 30 to 40. And then professing Christians that attended church regularly, it went down a little bit more, down to like 20 to 25%. Now, whether or not these statistics are right or not, I don't know if how accurate the number is, but it makes, it makes sense to me. Um, this matters to me because it, it shows that Christians, people within the church, and people that know people that are outside of the church or even within the church, they know people within the church, are still struggling with this concept of divorce. And as a product of divorce, my, my uh, biological mom and biological dad divorced when I was a, a young age. I think I was two, one or two, five. It was five. Okay, I put it behind me, you know. But... Uh, and then they were, they were uh, remarried to Beck, and Beck's been my, uh, my mom um, since I was five or six years old. Um, and so I've had two moms and two dads. So I feel pretty, you know, and I'm, I speak openly about it because I don't know any other way. I don't feel like, you know, we need to hide things. Um, I've been very fortunate to have a good uh, stepmom, and my stepdad passed away in July of 2003, and I was very fortunate to have him as my stepdad and then my mom biological mom remarried. You guys have met Linda. Uh, we have a close relationship. We, talked, we talk often. Um, and so I've been very fortunate in that aspect, but I, because I, I have that background, I feel like I'm a little bit, I guess, okay to talk about this subject without seeming judgmental on other people, because that's not my goal. Um, looking at the concept of divorce, when you read Matthew 5, 31 and 32, there's, there's not hundreds and hundreds of verses scriptures pertaining to the subject of divorce in the Bible. You know, when you look up the word divorce or to release or to let go of, um, there's not as nearly as many as, say, when you look up the word faith or you look up the word repent or you look up the word Jesus or God or spirit. There's not a ton of scriptures about divorce, but um, I need to share with you some of my experiences within being a Christian, being, a, we'll call a church leader, uh, where people, where I'd preach and people come to me and say, hey, I need to talk to you about our marriage. We need to talk to you about our marriage. And there's four, there's four quick examples I'll give you. The first example is years ago, years and years ago, a guy came to me and he says, hey, my wife says she's going to leave me. Uh, I said, well, wh what'd you do? I said, what, what happened? What'd you do? It's got to be your fault. He says, well, you know, I went to Country Jam and I got really drunk and she came to get me, and I was really mean to her, and, and I said a bunch of things I shouldn't have said, and I said, well, that's, that's not good. I said, I, I wouldn't say that's grounds for divorce, but that's not good that you're doing that. That's something you need, to, you, know, you need to figure out, you need to repent of. And I said, is this first time? He says, no, it happens about every three to four months. Okay, so it's a problem then. We have, we have an issue that's, that's continuing. He says, yeah. 
and, I, and he says, she's, she's finally gotten to the point where she's going to leave me, and she says she's going to file. So I met with the couple. We met several times, and she said, Nate, I've, I've heard for five years how it's going to change, and it never changes. It's constant. It's constant. It's constant. And I just, I can't do it anymore. Every time I get hope that he's going to change, he doesn't. And so I'm done. And I counseled that, uh, that they didn't need to divorce. They needed to separate for a time. And uh, he needed to repent. He needed to go dry. And he needed to start coming to church on a regular basis with her because she was a constant at church. And he swore up and down, I'm going to do it. And he did it. And they ended up divorcing. Um, Another situation, this gal got married to this guy, and I performed the wedding ceremony, and I always do premarital counseling, which I'll talk about in a minute. And uh, she comes to me in tears because she found out some really dark past that he had that he kind of hid from her uh, during uh, their courtship. Um, and so she found out about it, and the parents found out about it, and the parents are like, divorce that man. He is evil, he's bad, he's terrible. He came to me crying, and I said, well, well, tell me what's going on. And I said, spill your guts. He told me everything, maybe. I think he told me everything, maybe not. Maybe he held some stuff back. And I said, it sounds like you need to repent. You need to go ask the family for forgiveness, and she needs to help in your walk with Christ. And so I counseled both of them together. My wife is usually present in these situations. Um, I counseled them together, and I said, you need to repent. You need to come clean. You need to talk to her family. You need to tell them I'm sorry. They need to embrace you as someone that needs guidance and help because they were professing Christian people, very active in the church. And uh, they said, okay, we're going to do that. He kind of lulls her back into his web of lies. And within about six months, he doesn't repent. They divorce. Eventually. Third one, uh, she decided to stray. She went, um, had some issues, and she went off and, and was unfaithful. He was willing to um, forgive her for uh, her unfaithfulness, and we talked about it, and I read the scriptures, and I said, well, there's grounds for divorce in this situation. Um, the Bible says in Malachi chapter 2, God hates divorce, so I, I think it's going to be your call on this one, and um, he, after a lot of thinking and months and her refusing to repent of her sin, she, um, she left him, he left her, and they divorced. Thankfully, she has repented since then. That's another story. Uh, and last, last little thing, I've, these are the counseling sessions. This is one of a few of many stories that I've unfortunately had the, uh, the pleasure of being involved with. Um, Another one was a couple came to me and says, hey, we, we don't have a church home, we can't find a preacher, and you were recommended to us by a friend of ours. I said, well, I require six counseling sessions, premarital counseling. And my counseling is always, if you want this marriage to work, okay, if you want this marriage to work, you have to make this your standard. You've got to erase all these preconceived ideas and beliefs and whatever else. That's the only way I can guarantee you that 30 years from now, if I'm still alive, that Brenda and I will still be married. I can guarantee it because we have both, because we're stubborn, we've both said we are, even when it gets difficult and we want to fight for a little bit or whatever it is, we're going to go back to this book and say, Nate, you need to start treating her a little more gently. 
uh, Brenda, you need to respect him more. I mean, there's all these things in Scripture that we can base our marriage off of, which will be successful. If you do this, life will be better. If you don't, it's going to be difficult, and it will end up leading into you being part of the 40 to 50%. Capiche? And they go, yeah, 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 we're going to start coming to church, and we want to get involved. And I've heard it so many times from people that it's like the honeymoon phase with the preacher. They get married, we'll see a Sunday, and then you never see him again until, until, uh, Nate, my wife's going to leave me. <laughs> it's like, I haven't seen you in church. Who are you again? Oh, I'm, so, oh, I'm just kidding. I know who you are. Uh, not to say I told you so, but have you guys been active in the fellowship of the, the body of believers? No, we haven't. Well, that's probably part of the problem. I can help, but I'm going to give you the same counsel I gave to you two years ago, three years ago. You need to get involved in the church body. You need to serve. You need to make this your standard. That's been a little bit of my counseling since I have started doing this stuff, preaching and teaching. And these stories of divorce and separation and marital struggles, they have crossed my desk, not only in the church, but in business. And I've heard things that would make your skin crawl. I've heard things that made my heart break. And I constantly give the same counsel to these people this is going to be your saving grace in marriage. It's my constant counsel, and it will not change. Because this is the light. So looking back at Matthew chapter 5, I want I said all that to say, what I'm going to talk about today, I've combed the scripture because of my position in preaching, and people want to come visit with you about their marriage. Uh, because of my business, I deal with a lot of subcontractors and having conversation about this stuff. And I just want to be completely transparent with you that the scriptures is where I'm going to get my theology on the concept of divorce. Okay? The concept of remarriage, divorce, all those things that Jesus talks about. You have the world's view, and then you have the Bible view. My take is going to be the Bible view. I don't care about culture. In some cultures, they have like ten wives and concubines. I don't think that's right. So you don't base I'm going to one extreme. You don't base culture to define your theology. You don't look at, at other cultures to define what you believe. You, you look at the word, as far as I'm concerned, to see what you believe. So, Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. As I read this, more questions became to come into my mind, came, started coming into my mind when it comes to what about divorce and some things that I asked myself that we'll address in the message. So, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her... Jesus was not very sensitive to gender pronouns, was he? I mean, he just was like... Anyway. <laughs> I listened to my sermon on lust the other day when I was uh, working on the baseball field, and I can't hear the laughter of the congregation in the background. So we've got to get that fixed because if somebody ever listens to it that wasn't here, they're like, man, that didn't go over well. Because I say something, I'm serious, I say something, and you can't hear a thing. Like, shoot. I need to, like, get one of those Hollywood things where you have applause now or whatever. <laughs> so, all right. Um, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits 
adultery. Here are some of the questions or things that I noticed. The previous two subjects we talked about, whether it was anger or lust, it was, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And I found it interesting, it doesn't say, you have heard that it was said, do not get divorced. This was just something that popped in my head, and I'm being transparent with you. When I looked at this, it doesn't say, you should not get divorced. It seems to insinuate that divorce was acceptable among the Jews at the time. As if divorce was not a sin like adultery or anger, but rather it was a law advocating putting away of, woman, of a woman if a divorce was wanted. Here's, this is how you do it. It didn't say, thou shalt not uh, get a divorce, like it says, you shall not commit adultery. Have you ever noticed that before? Just the way I read it, I thought that was interesting, which kind of helped me in preparation. Again, uh, what about the woman's right to divorce? They're just stuck? Is that the bottom line? They're just stuck? Because when you look at it, it says, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her. It doesn't say anything about if if, uh, whoever divorces her husband, let her give him a certificate. The scripture also seems to say that divorce is not the sin, but rather the result of sin if sexual immorality was the cause of the divorce. It wasn't the divorce that was a sin. It was the result of the sin of sexual immorality. And after looking at verse 32, Jesus seems to be saying that if sexual, sexual immorality occurred um, in the marriage, a future relationship is not considered adulterous. If divorce is the result of something other than sexual immorality, then adultery is a result for future relationships. So the, the key thing is, if there is sexual immorality, then it is not wrong. If there is sexual immorality, it's not wrong. If there is not, then it is wrong. Those are some things that I asked myself or I noted as I was writing. But I want to read something uh, about this marriage and divorce in the days of Jesus, um, which I think may help us understand this passage a little bit more. Ideally, the Jew abhorred divorce. The voice of God had said, I hate divorce, Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. The rabbis had the loveliest of sayings. We find that God is long-suffering to every sin except the sin of unchastity. Unchastity is uh, sexually immoral. Unchastity, Unchastity causes the glory of God to depart. Every Jew must surrender his life rather than commit idolatry, murder, or adultery. These are sayings of the Jews way back when. The very altar sheds tears when a young man divorces the wife of his youth. The tragedy was that practice fell so far short of the ideal. One thing vitiated the whole marriage relationship. The woman in the eyes of the law was a thing. Okay, This is a whole little tangent here. This is a side note. But in Galatians it says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Side note for this liberal thinking that we have what's called the, the woman's movement of women's lib, Jesus liberated women. You realize that? Jesus liberated women, not the opposite. People that read the scriptures and they misinterpret and misunderstand scriptures think that women are held down by God, and that's the opposite. 
Jesus liberated when he says there is neither Jew nor free or Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Men and women are treated equally in the eyes of God. They are both created in the image of God. That doesn't mean we have different roles within the body of Christ and different roles within the home and different roles within public, things like that. But equality is God views women as I created her in my image. And God views men as I created him in my image. Okay, going on. Uh, the woman in the eyes of the law was a thing. This is talking about the law. She was at the absolute disposal of her father or of her husband. She had, all, she had to all intents and purposes no legal rights at all. To all intents and purposes, a woman could not divorce her husband for many reasons, or for any reason. And a man could divorce his wife for any cause at all. A woman, said the rabbinic law, may be divorced with or without her will, but a man only with his will. Meaning a woman cannot say, I want a divorce for my husband, but a man could say, I want a divorce for my wife. She was stuck. The matter was complicated by the fact that the Jewish law of divorce was very simple in its expression and very debatable in its meaning. Go to Deuteronomy 24. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, starting in verse 1, It says, when a man, I'll, I'll let you get there, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then, she finds, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter, so this is an implication in the law, in Deuteronomy 24, that the man would simply need to give his wife a certificate of divorce in order to be legally divorced. Now, I looked at, and looked and I found this, uh, the actual letter or certificate or one of the examples of a letter or certificate that would be given from a man to a woman, and it reads this. This, is how it would, this would be the letter that the man would give to the woman. On the... Sixth day of the second week in the month of January in the year 486 B.C., from the beginning of the world, according to the common computation in the province of Bithynia, I, John, the son of Jesse, by whatever name I may be known, of the town of Bethlehem, with entire consent of mind and without any constraint, have divorced, dismissed, and expelled thee, Sarah, daughter of John uh, give me another name. So Haggai, uh, and expelled thee, uh, Sarah, daughter of Haggai, by whatever name thou art called, of the town who has been sent my wife hitherto. But now I have dismissed thee, Sarah, the daughter of Haggai, by whatever name thou art called, of the town of Bethlehem, so as to be free at thy own disposal, to marry whomever thou pleasest, without hindrance from anyone, from this day and forever. Thou art therefore free for anyone... And then it says, who would marry thee? Like, I don't know who'd marry you, but if somebody else wants to marry you, it's okay. Let this be thy bill of divorce from me, a writing of separation and expulsion according to the law of Moses and Israel, John, son of Jesse, witness. So there was an actually legal document that was given by a Jewish man to a woman saying, I am done. I'm going to give you this certificate of divorce. You're free to marry whoever you want if somebody will have you. 
but you're free to marry whoever you want. Here you go. And then they were divorced. So then it says, all that had to be done was to hand that document to the woman in the presence of two witnesses, and she stood divorced. Clearly the crux of this matter lies in the interpretation of the phrase, some uncleanness. But it also says, uh, he has found some indecency in her. Okay, I'm going back to the beginning of divorce in the Bible. When if, if you find some indecency in your wife, you can give her a certificate and be legally divorced, and therefore, you go ahead and you can marry another. That was what was going on at the time. The problem was, there was two schools of thought. There was the Shemaiah school of the rabbis, and then there was a Hillel school of rabbis. And the Shemaiah school of rabbis was a very conservative school of rabbis, meaning indecency was if there was some sort of adulterous situation or sexual immorality, or if she was found not to be a virgin, then uh, it was okay to divorce her. The Hillel rabbinical school was basically if she burned your meal, you could divorce her. If she talked about your parents, you could divorce her. Negatively, you could divorce her. If she was seen talking to another man on the streets of Jerusalem, you could divorce her. Again, if she put some salt on your food, you could divorce her. And one rabbi went as far as saying, if you see a woman who's more attractive than your wife, that could be considered indecency, therefore you could divorce her. So this was what was going on in the days of Jesus. And you can imagine and understand why, um, well, let me, let me, I think I've said what I wanted to say. Yeah, human nature being such as it is, it is easy to see which school would have had greater influence, the more liberal one. In the time of Jesus, divorce had grown easier and easier so that a situation had arisen in which girls were actually unwilling to marry because marriage was so insecure. When Jesus said this, he was not speaking as some theoretical idealist. He was speaking as a practical reformer. He was seeking to deal with a situation in which the structure of family life was collapsing and in which nation, uh, national morals were becoming even more immoral. This concept, this, this idea of divorce has been going on long before we were born. It's been going on since the beginning of time. It's been getting, going on since Moses wrote the, the Torah. Um, the word divorce in the Hebrew, it, it's a cutting off of the matrimonial bond to drive out, to cast out, to put away. That's what divorce is, uh, the, the Hebrew word means. So what does the Bible actually say in regards to divorce? Now, we've already read the Deuteronomy passage. Um, in Leviticus, the first time it's mentioned, again, I hope you guys learn from this because this will help when somebody who says, I think I'm going to, when one of your friends or your cousins or your aunts who says, I am a Christian, I believe in God, I love God, I go to church all the time, and, and uh, not that you have to go to church all the time to be a Christian, although it sure helps, um, but when they come to you and say, hey, you know, I, this isn't working out, you know, I think I want to get a divorce, just say, well, are you a Christian? Yeah. Do you believe the Bible? Yeah. Do you love God? Yeah. Well, let's look and see what the Bible says about it. My goal is that we can, we can understand scripturally what God is saying here. And the first time it's mentioned is in Leviticus 21, and this is about the priesthood. He's talking about the Aaronic priesthood, and he says in verse 14, uh, it, well, start in verse 10. Uh, Leviticus 21, verse 10. 
It says, the priest who is chief among his brothers on whose head the anointing oil is poured and who has been consecrated to wear the garment shall not let the hair of his head hang loose nor tear his clothes. He shall not go in to any dead bodies nor make himself unclean even for his father or his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary lest he profane the sanctuary of his God for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him and I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity a widow or a divorced woman or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute, these he shall not marry, but he shall take his wife as a virgin of his own people that he may not profane his offspring among his people for I am the Lord who sanctifies him. So one of the requirements of a priest was that he married a woman who was a virgin who was not divorced, who had not been a prostitute, who had not been defiled. That was the the qualifications or the requirements of a priest. Again, I think this is PG because it's all they hear a lot more at school, so don't worry about that. But this is what this says here. All right, the next passage in Deuteronomy chapter 22. Uh, Deuteronomy 22, uh, verse 13. It's a, it's a fairly long passage. We don't need to read it. You have in, we have it in your notes. If a man takes his wife and goes into her and then he hates her and accuses her of misconduct and brings a bad name upon her. I took this woman and when I came near... This is when a man marries a woman, supposed to be a virgin. He goes in, he goes, oh my gosh, she's not a virgin. And then he goes to the, the, the town, he goes, I got cheated, she's not a virgin. And then they discover that she's not, uh, then they stone her to death. If they discover that she is, uh, he gets beat. So it really keeps the guy from lying because, man, my wife's just really mean. She put too much salt on my food. And so he slanders her name and ruins her name amongst the townspeople. And so there's all these pretty interesting things that happen in the Old Testament that uh, God thought of, that uh, the Jews were uh, obligated to follow. Uh, Then Deuteronomy 24 talks about the certificate of divorce we read a minute ago. Now we're going to go to the New Testament. Now we already read the the Matthew 5 passage in the Sermon on the Mount about uh, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate. But I say that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Makes her commit adultery. So in Matthew 19, the Pharisees come to Jesus. We understand, as I'm trying to set something up here, and I hope you can follow. You understand where the certificate of divorce that Jesus refers to in Matthew 5 comes from, right? Now it comes from Deuteronomy 24. It was part of the law. Part of the law was, if you're going to divorce your wife, give her a certificate. And so the Jews, these, these men, had this biblical... Torah right to divorce their wives. And because there was different schools of thought, some was, uh, she's a bad cook, and the other was, no, she ran around uh, with your, your, your neighbor. They had to deal with that, and some chose one versus the other. Now, when Jesus finished teaching them, he went away and he entered the region of Judea. And in verse 2, it says, large crowds followed them, and he healed them there. And in verse 3 of chapter 19, Matthew 19, 3 says, And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now remember, in Deuteronomy 24, it says, Give her a certificate of divorce if you find something in her that's unpleasant. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? They're always trying to trap Jesus with the Bible. They're always trying to trap Jesus when they ask him things about, well, Moses said this, what do you say? It says that you're supposed to stone her if she she gets caught in adultery. 
what do you say? And we talked about that last week, how he wrote, his, wrote something in the sand and they all walked away uh, one at a time. Jesus responded, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, which is also under attack, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. He's saying, look, God made male and female when they came together, when they were joined together, God made them one. Let man not separate that. And they think they've got him. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Why would Moses say this if it was wrong and this is the way God intended it from the beginning? And Jesus said, notice how they said, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed. One's a command, one's allowed. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So Jesus says there is a, there's, there's a caveat here for divorce. And it's not the fact that you guys fight and bicker over what TV show you're going to watch or what time you got home from work or what the kids are going to have for dinner. That, those were not grounds for divorce. It says, except for sexual immorality. We, we've, we've, I mean, I'm getting to my conclusion before I'm there, but we've gotten to this place in our world where it's like, oh, you guys don't get along? Well, divorce. In the church. In the church. Oh, you're fighting? Well, maybe it's not going to work out. When did that become a thing? When did that become so, instead of sticking it out and working together, when did, when did this concept of just, you know what, just change, just move, just find somebody else, you'll be happier that way. That's not the way God intended it from the beginning. Um, in 1 Corinthians 7, you guys can read that scripture, just for sake of time, I'm not going to get into it too much, but 1 Corinthians 7, it does talk about the concept of marriage and divorce. Eh, Let's just read it. I want to have a full understanding here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, is this interesting or should we call it a day? Keep going? All right. I'm going riding up on the mountain on a motorcycle, so I'm a little antsy to get on it. So if you guys say it's boring, I'll just take one of you. Just give me one person saying we're I'm kidding. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 about marriage and divorce. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says these are the principles for marriage. Um, and we'll start in, uh, I'll start in verse, well, let's start in well, uh, 11. To the married I give this charge. This is, now he's writing, going back, he says, Paul called by the will of God to an apostle to the church of God that is in Corinth. And in one passage he says, to all the congregations of the saints. So this is a letter that was, uh, that was, uh, it was certified, it was verified, it was, uh, it was written again, and then it was sent out to other churches. And so this is in all the congregations of the saints, I believe he's referring to. But this is, specifically, he does say this is to 
in this case, he says this is to, the, to, to those in Christ Jesus in Corinth. And when he says, to the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. So he's differentiating between, this is not a command that I'm giving you, this is a command that's coming through me that's from the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an oh, all of a sudden the women have an opportunity here. It's not just for the men. Again, liberation. Um, if a woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if, the, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? And how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So, a couple of times... Uh, there seems to be like it's okay to divorce in this situation. It's okay to divorce in this situation. And we're going to look at those situations. Back in Matthew 19, when the Pharisees came up to him, when he's talking about this idea of except for sexual immorality, the word used there is porneia, and it's translated in the ESV as sexual immorality, but that's the Greek word, and it has a range of meanings. And if you look in Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 20, in your notes, that if you grab those notes, there's a lot of details of what, what they would consider sexual immorality. And it's very, it, it's very clear, I'll try and PG this, there's adultery, there's homosexuality, there's bestiality, and there's incest. Those are the four subjects in Leviticus 18 and 20 that are talked about that most believe this is what Jesus was referring to in sexual immorality. These four things. So when he says, except for sexual immorality, it's not okay to divorce. But then 1 Corinthians also adds the case if... Um, your husband or wife no longer wishes to be married to you and they are an unbeliever, you can let them go. If they choose to leave, you can let them go. Those are the five biblical, okay, I'm not talking, I'm not going to put on my Freudian counselor hat here. I'm just saying the five biblical, sexually immoral reasons why the Bible says you can have grounds for divorce. Adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, and an unbelieving spouse that says, I'm out. I'm tired of your Christianity. I'm leaving here. Guys, I know this isn't an easy subject because every one of us are just like, well, what about, like, what, what about my Aunt Martha? What about my Uncle Rick? What about my cousin Carrie? What about this? What about that? What do you want me to do? <laughs> this is what it says. I've got the same situations that you guys have in your families and your friends. Part of my family. We've all been there. 
We've seen it. We've experienced it. Many of us have experienced it. Biblically, that's what I'm seeing in the scriptures about grounds for it. Some would argue, based on last week's sermon back in Matthew chapter 5, when it talks about lust, some would argue that there is a breaking of the marriage vow if there was adultery committed in their heart, meaning pornography, which we talked about last week, whether it be on the internet, whether it be on magazines or movies or whatever, that some would argue that this lust teaching that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, when he says, you have already committed adultery, sexual immorality, therefore that is grounds for divorce. Some would argue that. Um, I say that's a little bit of a slippery slope. I'm not going to tell you that, I, I, I don't know, to be honest with you, I, 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 that's a tough one for me. Um, I think that concept is a slippery slope because uh, my counsel in that situation would be that the Christian that's viewing that sort of trash, that, that brain trash, they need to repent and they need to turn to God, and, they, uh, and if they don't, they're just going to fall into the devil's pit, and that will just lead to some really dark days ahead. That would be my counsel, is to leave that trash where it belongs in the fires of hell. That's what I would say. Um, That's, that's something that everybody would have to deal with in a certain... There's so many situations, but I can tell you bickering over finances is not grounds for divorce. It's not. Bickering over uh, what car you're taking to church, which we never argue about that, other than if I'm riding my motorcycle, she's like, put the helmet on. We don't argue. I talked to Kirk about it today, and he's, I get it. Ryan said that that's where the wind is in your hair and it feels better. There are certain things that are not grounds for divorce. Matthew what? 1 Corinthians? To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. This is kind of the, the conclusion of my message, brother. That's a great question. God is a God of not separation. God is a God of reconciliation. That's who God is. God, God calls the nation of Israel, Israel an adulterous whore. An adulterous wife, he says. And, and, and it was at Haggai that he said to take her back? Take yourself an adulterous wife? Was it Haggai the prophet? It's, it's one of the minor prophets when he says, take yourself an adulterous wife. Israel had had left God. And he tells the prophet to take, and he uses it as an example, is that you have an adulterous person. 
And God says, I want you to take them back. I want you, prophet, to take them back. We look at divorce sometimes as this sin that's an unforgivable sin. But it's not. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't look at lying as an unforgivable sin. We don't look at stealing. There's one unforgivable sin mentioned in the Bible. What is it? Say it. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so people that have gone through this, this, this divorce or gone through the concept of divorce, my counsel would be the same counsel that Jesus said to the woman at the well. Go and sin no more. That would be my counsel. Go and sin no more. And when two Christian people come to me and they say, um, we want to get divorced because... Uh, we can't get along anymore. We're fighting all the time. My first question is, has there been unfaithfulness? Who's ringing? Is that you, Brett? I thought it was me. That's why I was checking. Is, has there been unfaithfulness? No, there hasn't been unfaithfulness. Well, then what are we talking about here? Shouldn't we be talking about reconciliation? Isn't that what we should be talking about? And I, I understand the scriptures, we want to draw this fine line in the sand that says, do not marry again, do not remarry. And I, that's a tough one. Donaldo, that's a tough one. I mean, it says clearly, to the married in the church at Corinth, I give this charge, not I, you sh a wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. And that's why I feel like we've kind of gone to a little bit of the, uh, the scribal mindset when it comes to, well, was he looking at bad magazines? Because that's adultery, and according to that's marital unfaithfulness, therefore they have a right to remarry. Or was she looking at uh, things that she shouldn't be looking at? Was she having adulterous, lustful thoughts in her heart? It's this slippery slope, and I constantly will go back to, what is God's goal? God's goal is reconciliation. God's goal is our heart. God's goal is to say, you know what, I've made a mistake, I'm in error, and I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith going forward. I'm not going to live in my rearview mirror. I'm not going to live in the past. And that's why I think these letters are constantly an encouragement, not just for the people at Corinth, but for the people in Grand Junction. And I have a note here that says, what if I have been divorced for unbiblical reasons? Am I going to hell according to Jesus? And I wrote, Jesus says to all sin, go and sin no more. I mean, isn't that the whole point of why we fellowship together? Is to encourage one another? Is, and, and it's not the point, well, we've got this, you did this, you did this, and you did this, and so we're going to separate you into different, different groups. This group, you're basically going to have to live a life of penance for the rest of your life. And this group here, you're good to go. Just, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. This group, you just need to repent and you're good. I mean, this whole concept of Christianity that I see in Scripture is God saying, I want you to fix your eyes on the cross and you need to repent. And you may need to repent of this, this idea of sexual immorality. Or you may need to repent of, of saying, you know what, I'm not getting along with my wife. I want to divorce her. And this is the same counsel that I gave to those most recent couple that I've met with. Like, is there unfaithfulness? No, there's no unfaithfulness. Even if there was unfaithfulness, I would say, 
Stop being unfaithful. You're lucky that he or she forgives you and move on and start getting deep in the word of God and become more Christ-like. That would be my counsel. But to this counsel, I said, what do you guys, are you, are you going to church anywhere? No, we're not. What are you doing on Friday, Saturday nights? Well, we're partying and hanging out with a lot of people. How's that going for you? Going well? No, it's not going well. Then why are you still doing it? Why are you still doing it? I mean, you're beating your head up against the wall and you're asking me why it hurts. So I don't know if I answered your question because I, I do believe, Donaldo, that situations are different without getting, I don't, I don't believe there's a, I mean, I've had people trap me uh, in, in conversations of counseling saying, well, what if my husband's beating the tar out of me every day? I'm like, well, do you have an older brother or a dad? Let him know what it feels like. <laughs> Is that unchristian to say that? Eye for an eye, yeah. I want to avoid that because, man, I'd be in trouble. And so that's why we have police. I mean, there's, cert- there's certain things like my, my, physically I go, if somebody were to do that to my daughter or my, or my mother or my wife or, you know, or, or, you know, my daughter, I'd say, well, he needs to know what it feels like then so he can understand helping him. There's some, that's why these are difficult subjects. That's why these, this, these gospel sermons, you know, these, some of these teachings, and it's easy after this. Goodness, oaths, retaliation, those are love your enemies, giving to the needy, the Lord's, all this stuff's easy. <laughs> but lust and divorce, oh man. Can I be done? Can we? If you, uh, I'm going to, same, same message as last, same message as last week, guys. God, God desires your heart. That's the bottom line. Bottom line is he just desires your heart. He wants this 100%. He doesn't want 50% of it. He doesn't want us riding the fence. He wants us 100% going for him. And when we see something in our life that we need to change, God says, I want you to change it. I want you to, that's what I want you to work on. And that's why we have a support system here. So if you guys want to talk about it with me privately, notice I don't bring up names. I don't need to name names. It's, that's not how it op- that's not how we operate. If you need to talk about stuff, and I'm here to talk. We've got plenty of men here that have struggled with a lot of different things. If you need to talk to them, I can probably connect you to somebody that you might be a good fit if I'm not. Women, same thing. You know, talk to Brenda. Talk to my mom. You know, talk to Peggy. There's all these women in here. Jess, Rachel, I mean, there's always women. Go talk to them. I'm struggling with this. Go talk to them. They'll connect you to somebody. That's the point of the church body is to help each other get spiritually healthy. That's why we're here. Okay? Love you guys. And uh, who's, who's doing communion this morning? Donaldo? All right. I'm going to ask you a question while you're up here.